The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, I'm Nigel Barker, and I'm here with Tom Astor, my co-host, and this is Shaken and Stirred, the quarantine sessions. I can't believe it, Tom. You are in Blighty. I'm here in Woodstock, yet we're together, and we're going to make this happen. We're together. We are going to make it happen. And all thanks to this new platform we've got, we can have a drink virtually. We're going to do this. So bear with us. This is not what any of us had planned, but I think that ultimately it's better to enjoy one's company and to have a good chat and a bit good banter over a cocktail than not. And our guest today is really, really amazing. So I'm very excited. So pull up a chair, shake yourself a cocktail, and be ready to be shaken and stirred. And first up, let's get to booze news. This is something we want to do. We want to talk about what's going on in the world of booze. And a lot of things are happening. A lot of things are changing. Just the other day, we were doing a virtual cocktail hour on Instagram, Tom and I, and I decided to mix kombucha with vodka and spike it. And it turns out that this is now all the rage. People are doing this and and are actually bottling it, and it's becoming a big deal. And there are all kinds of brands, beer brands and wine brands, who are getting in on the kombucha, the spiked kombucha. Kombucha already has an element of alcohol. It has a 0.5% alcohol because of the fermentation. And I just thought it tasted good, but I didn't know I was onto something. And, and now it's it's actually happening. It's becoming a thing. And it's being marketed specifically towards women, apparently, uh, because they like all the health benefits and the enzymes and the, the vitamins and all those sorts of things that you find in the kombucha uh, and the sort of fermented tea aspect. But that fermentation that produces that little bit of alcohol is now being spiked and it's now being in cans as a spiked kombucha. So that's very interesting, I think. And now also in Booze News, in New York, of course, as I mentioned, this is the quarantine sessions. And so many of the of uh, you know the states and also countries in the world have had the, the liquor stores closed down because of, of, of COVID-19 and because of corona and because of concerns of over drinking, but not in places like New York, right? New York liquor stores are considered essential businesses and um, they've seen a spike in sales, which is no big surprise. Uh, you know, Cuomo, I think, was very smart. I know I've heard that in England they've actually closed them, but I'll let you talk about that in a second, Tom. But it, it's quite interesting how business has soared in the New York area and, and also online apps. There's one called Drizzly that's up almost 300% in business because people are delivering alcohol. Because what else are you going to do in a crisis? And there are people like Johnny Walker and other distilleries who have shifted their efforts to actually move from making alcohol to make, move, making alcohol for hand sanitizer. And that's happening in the UK as well, though. That is happening in the UK. Yeah, we've got microbreweries, actually, that are trying to stay alive during these difficult times who have, who have switched to that. They reckon in the UK that 50 million pints are going to have to be poured away, that are, that are sitting in barrels that are going to go off in pubs. Now, the government has said that it will, you know, the, the breweries have said that it will repay uh, the publicans and the, and the bars and places that don't use their beer and the government has said to the pubs, if you're going to pour it away, film it so that you can prove you're not just drinking it or whatever. If it doesn't happen on film, it doesn't happen at all. Exactly. And the thing is, well, I've got a, I've got my own bar on, on where I live because I, I run a wedding venue, which I, every time I walk past it, I feel the need to go and check to see whether the beer's gone off yet. What do you mean if you're going to make sure to drink some of it? <laughs> Trying to before it, before before it goes, it goes off. Now, one funny story I read, though, well, funny 
under the circumstances is that the breweries have said to all the pubs in England that you know they'll refund any beer that hasn't been drunk, which is a Draymond's worst nightmare. Draymond are people who deliver the barrels of beer to pubs in England, and traditionally pubs, the beer is kept in cellars, which obviously are in the basement of buildings. This means that when these draymen get back to work and they're finally allowed out, they instead of dropping heavy, full barrels of beer into cellars and lifting light, empty ones out, they will be lifting out heavy, undrunk kegs of beer. Uh, and, and, and apparently one concern is for these guys who are the only people who really don't or aren't looking forward to going back to work at all. Um, <laughs> because they're going to be pulling out massive barrels of beer out of the cellar versus pouring them in. And you see them roll them in. I do feel sorry for them. But it's very, very nice that they're actually taking back the beer. That's something which they didn't have to do, which obviously will help. Well, I love it. Booze news. So our guest is on, is on hold. She's about to let her into this, this conversation. I can't wait to see it. Here we go. Kelly Catron is connecting to audio. What's up? She's, look at that beautiful girl who just walked out. I'm so sorry, you guys. Listen, I had to make some cinnabons for my daughter. That's why. Of course you did. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to virtually meet you. Nigel, you guys, I made my own drink. I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. It looks amazing. I'm excited. You're, you're well worth the wait, Kelly, as always. And for everyone out there, you've already heard our guest. She's already talking. You probably recognize her voice. She's a great friend of mine, legendary publicist extraordinaire. New York Times best-selling author. I mean, the list goes on and on. She was a singer. She's, you know, she's uh-huh. basically Nobody cares. a goddess. And I think she's even called herself a witch before, although which witch I'd like to know. You've put a spell on me, Kelly Catrone. Thank oh you for coming God. on Shaken and Stirred. You are good today. Look at you. He just doesn't change, does he? He no. doesn't change. I mean, it's amazing. He was my fake yeah. husband on Top Model. You know, we did... a you know, we had to hang out in strange places. It wasn't fake. I thought that was a very real husband. Just don't tell the wife. Yeah, you're very faithful to your wife. Well, well you know, I, you, you've met my wife, right? So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy to be faithful to that goddess. I would be faithful to her. Anybody that you can press while you're doing, like, arms and abs and some core exercise, I say is a keeper. I've actually said to her, just has to make sure that she doesn't put on even half a pound at this point. Because if she goes, you know, I myself, in quarantine, I'm getting weaker and weaker. Um, and that, that sort of cute move is I almost put me out of action for about a week. Look, we're having a drink, we're having a cocktail. What are you drinking? I saw you made yourself something. I'm, I had to invent this because we have limited supplies in this COVID situation. So I, I had to create a drink based off a drink recipe, but I didn't have the ingredients. So I made my own. And I think it's probably better, to be honest. And I'm happy to what talk. What is it? Well, I'd like to show it to you. So this is, um, Looks so, you know, I was thinking about spring and I, I started thinking about spring drinks and how you can cheer yourself up because I love red wine. And then I'm not like a really big mixed drink girl. So I was like, I thought a coconut martini would be something worth trying. So I looked it up and you need to have coconut vodka, which is not easy to find in a small town. No. Vodka. So especially <laughs> during a pandemic, which I tried and I couldn't. And then um, you also need a coconut rum or a vanilla vodka, which I also couldn't find. So I was like, fuck it. I can swear on this, right? You absolutely. I go like, ahead. Fuck it. I'm going to do this myself. So I went and got organic coconut chips, dried organic coconut chips, and some coconut flakes. And then I made um, a fresh pineapple juice reduction, just some fresh pineapple. Yeah, so it's about, and it's very strong. So it's like 
two and a half ounces of vodka, about an ounce and a half of rum. Now we're talking. And then... Um, is that your first? Well, I haven't had any yet. This is going to be... Oh. Because this is like two and a half drinks in one. But then you decrease the sugar, so it's... it's definitely her second. Don't believe her for a moment. No, anyway, no, carry it, on. It's the taster. This is what was left. <laughs> so then a pineapple, some fresh pineapple juice. And then uh, what else? That's it. It's vodka. Oh, oh, cream of coconut. Organic cream of coconut. And then I use the cream of coconut to create this beautiful organic coconut rim. You literally done us all proud. I, I can't believe it. it is gorgeous looking. It looks like sort of one of those Instagram moments, quite frankly. And I think we, on the other hand, perhaps aren't as impressive. I'll take a picture. Tom, what are you drinking? I'm drinking espresso martini. Very unoriginal. But oh. I have a, I'm living on the farm a barman who is currently out of work because obviously we're not doing weddings. I do weddings on my farm normally, so he hasn't got anything to do. And I've got a pub here, which is obviously closed. And I rang him this evening. I said, you're going to make you're going to have to make me one of your espresso martinis because he makes the best espresso martinis. Guy called Dan. Anyway, he bought one over just in time for our interview. Cheers. <laughs> look at us. Tim, Tim. Mom and I look so chic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a vodka martini kombucha, oh. which apparently now is all the rage. I used to be a kombucha farmer. Well, it's one of those... Uh, you did? You were, What's that? I farm, kombucha reproduces itself when it sits fermented in the dark. The way you make it is you have a mushroom and you put it with some water in a cupboard and then it ferments itself and the offcast of the fermentation is what you're drinking. But then it also is like this crazy never ending placenta. So, you, you know, just keeps going. It's something in between a frisbee and a placenta. So wait a second, I was really looking forward to my drink until you described it as a placenta. Don't be afraid of placentas, they bring life to the world. How about fermentation? Uh, bring life to your bedroom tonight, I tell you. <laughs> there you go, a little shaken and stirred for you. Oh my God, I don't know about that fermentation. Look, I've just loved it. You know, the other day I made one, for one of these virtual cocktails, and I didn't realise that it was a thing. People are actually drinking these things, adding vodka and spiking their kombucha why not so, why not okay are we getting ready to go on the real drink this was really delicious so I have to, this is more like the foam part but really good it looks absolutely delicious so kelly mm -hmm. I, I want to get into this i've known you for ages yeah i mean let's say ages it seems it seems like ages because i feel like i've known you all my life in a way because the moment i met you i became very close to you you're such a sweet Love each other. really really truly and you joke and you say you know, your on-stage husband and what have you, but there is a, you know, you get very close on these shows and you get, you know, always, but certain times you meet certain people. And I have had luck in my career meeting people like you who I go on to call great friends forever. But some of our most hilarious times we had were always all over a drink, were they not? I mean... Correct. And I was, was reminiscing specifically about judging, which right. people don't often realise you know, the state of the people they're listening to when they're, when they're watching someone on a show. And Kelly and I were on America's Next Top Model together. Yeah. In fact, Kelly oh, I, I don't know if you know this, but we're supposed to be fashion experts, just so you know. Just to get you in the loop, Tommy, over there in Oxford. I'm going to be very American. Right. <laughs> okay. No, he's given me a little run down on your relationship, but it did involve a lot of the lot of the information did involve basic well drinking, which just makes sense as we're on a we're on a drinking uh, podcast. But he yeah, he said that all he could really talk about it was nothing to do with your fashion skills. It was to do with how you could keep up with the, one another before before filming. 
Correct. You know, so tell the story, tell the story, uh, Kelly, you know, regarding, you know, Ken Mock. There we were sitting at judging. We were having a brilliant judging, weren't we? It was hilarious. And was it, it this was in Macau or LA? Macau. It was in Macau. We were actually in Macau, of all places. Probably not my favorite location I've ever been to in America's Next Top Model. But nonetheless, there we were. It sucked. Macau was really crazy. So we were shooting in this uh, casino. And um, it's a very, very serious, like, billionaire casino. Everybody's drinking, everybody's gambling. And there are all these restaurants. So every night we're trying to get a restaurant reservation, and there's no one in them. So you call downstairs, don't you remember this night? And you're like, hi, we can make a reservation for 18 people. And they're like, uh, we're sorry, you know, the restaurant sold out. And we're like, who's there? No one's there. And then we found out, Tom, that they sold out the restaurant for, like, one person who would lose a $5 million hand who just felt bad or somebody who was winning. So that's how the whole thing started. We stayed on a top floor with armed guards and Chinese mafia, like crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. So Tyra takes obviously longer for her hair and makeup than me because I don't really do hair and makeup. So Nigel and I would have to wait. So we drank a, bo a bottle of champagne or two. I don't even remember. Probably at least, I, th I hate to say it, but probably one each, but anyway. Okay. So then we went down to judging and when we went down to the judging table on the judging panel, we started shooting and we were a little paranoid because we thought it was going to take longer. And we were called like in the middle of a pretty drunken moment. So we went down and we did the panel and Ken Mock, the executive producer, stopped everything and he's like, stop, stop, stop. And then I'm thinking, oh my God, like they're going to call my agent. This is going to be really bad. And he goes, you guys are amazing. I don't know what you're doing today, but this is the best panel we've ever had. So I like to go to work and get positive reinforcement for drinking. And ever since then, I think pretty much after that, we were, were constantly requesting that we had a little drink, a little boozy under the table. Yeah. Uh, and it's become a thing. And, you know, I've done now a few of these judging panels around the world for other top model franchises. And whenever we've run into problems, literally I've said, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea if we have a little shot of vodka. And, you know, Holland's next top model, which I've been working on recently, they're just, they just run over with the drink. So there you go. Dutch courage. Dutch courage. There you go. That's where they come. They don't like that phrase, by the way, Dutch courage in Holland. I've said it many times over there, and they're like, what? Dutch courage? What does it mean, really? It, it, it basically means you have a drink and you get courage, and it, the Dutch were known oh. for it. You know, so that's where that comes from. Um, Kelly, so, so much that I already know about you that it's, it's kind of fun when I have to interview someone or talk to someone that I know so intimately anyway. But I guess one of the things that I w wanted to know from you, and I think that we got, before we get into your own stories and things, and because you have a ridiculously interesting story. I think out of all the people I've ever met, you're the one person who has new stories that has stuff that I don't know about them. That is, I'm like, well, God, I didn't know that. And like, how deep can it go? Because um, there's so many layers. And just the other day, you were talking about how you, you didn't drink for a long time. You, you stopped drinking for years. Well, I stopped right? drinking because I was doing a lot of cocaine. And uh, it was in the 90s. I think the last time I, I did any hard drugs was like in 1991. So by the time in, I was a music publicist, so I was on the road a lot. You know, I was represented like the Fine Young Cannibals and Tammy Wynette and Pet Shop Boys and was dating David Palmer, Rod Stewart's drummer. And, you know, I mean, listen, I had a really great life. I figured out how to fly private, get paid to go to rock shows, date rock stars and make a shit ton of money. So I encourage anybody who likes that sport to do as well as I did. And so, you know, 
because you start at like eight in the morning and then you go all the way through. I also represented Tom for British, all the all London people, Jonathan Perkins and Martin Chambers with Roger Taylor and that band Miss World. I don't know if you remember that band, but that they were a really yeah. great brand, a really, really great band. So anyway, I would have to do, you know, I found myself doing cocaine, you know, to kind of stay up with my lifestyle. So um, by the end of it, I was living in Topanga, California, folding my clothes in alphabetical order with Debbie Harry. And uh, we lived in a house up there. And then I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm fucking out of this. This is hell. I'm, I, I've never known anybody who's done coke who was like, oh, my God, I did coke. And my life got so much better. I made so much money. All my dreams came true. So, you know, I was one of the 99.9% of the people who ate the bullet um, on that addiction. and. And then I was just like, you know, really had a spiritual awakening in that moment. And I was like, that's it. You know, I'm done with everything because I'm, I'm kind of like a black or white type of girl, you know, obviously I'm wearing all black and I'm drinking a white drink. So I'm true. To black. So I stopped everything until Ava was like, uh, God, about my daughter when she was about five, I started this voice was like red wine. And I was a single mom, you know, I broke up with her dad when we were pregnant. You want to say how long had that been? But uh, before I drank, 16 yeah. years. 16 years. Mm. That's a serious amount of time. And that's properly giving up. And you weren't AA or anything. You just gave up. No, I wasn't AA. Because I didn't really think I had an alcohol. I mean, I, I'm an intense person. Anything that I do, I have to watch. Whether it's loving somebody, working. And it's not like I'm an addictive person. But when I get into something... I like to see how far it can go. Like, it's an interesting, it's like, I like to do a bungee jump of consciousness kind of thing. You know, alcohol's a drug. I mean, they're all drugs. Cigarettes are drugs. Sugar's a drug. So those are drugs. So I was just like, no, I want to get in. I want to be super, I want to get into this. And then what happens is, it's like, after a while, it's just like, you know, you're into that thing, you know? So anyway, I was like, red wine, red wine. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you just, why would you want to drink now? Like, you're super clean, you're clear. And I went to Seoul, Korea for a business meeting, literally for lunch. As one does. As you do. And it's 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm in the freaking Weston Hotel. Beautiful place. Great spot. My God, really? Why are you there? And uh, I'm all of a sudden watching this CNN documentary. It's like, and there's a documentary on the Baroness de Rothschild. And I'm watching the Baroness de Rothschild and I'm like, this woman's an incarnation of the divine mother, right? Because by then I was like really into metaphysics. I could really spot a goddess, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, holy shit. And so she talked about how her family, you know, had been taken by the Nazis. She talked about how most of her family had been depleted and, you know, killed. And she gets out and she goes to Paris and says, I want to become an actress. She said that she was horrible. I'm paraphrasing all of this. She wasn't a good actress. And she went back and nobody really took her seriously at the family, the people that were left. And then um, she said nobody took her seriously. And then she decided to take some artwork that they had found in what was left from the family's estate and put them on the bottles and it became a really big thing. And then she said in the late 50s, early 60s, the French were getting all twisted about the Californians coming in, you know, and about how the Californians were in the wine business. And she goes, so what did I do? I called Robert Mondavi. And I said, hello, this is the Baroness de Rothschild. I would like to make a wine with you. And that's how she said they made Opus One. And so I was like, I knew nothing about Opus One. And I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to fucking order a bottle of Opus One. So I call at five o'clock in the morning, super jelly in Korea, call downstairs to the Western Hotel. And I say, I you know the Koreans, this was before they were really wanting to be seen as major wine people, you know, but they are like the Italians of Asia. Like they, you can't find anybody on a bicycle in Korea. Like everybody drives Mercedes. They wear gold facelifts, faceless. You know, they're like Italians. They're very loud. And, and so. For sure. And, and Opus One is that wine that is the, the sort of, was like the number one gold standard. If you wanted to impress a client, you ordered Opus One. Correct. Everyone knew. Opus One is the shit, okay? Not only that, but it's a spirit of collaboration between the bourgeois and the nouveau and them sharing their information, which we're all in this position right now, you know, like the street to the castle. And um, so I called downstairs. I said, do you have this wine? They said, yes, we do. And I said, how much is it? He said, $800. I know that's a lot, but don't forget, I didn't drink for 16 years. So if you do it on a yearly, yearly, it's very, very little money spent on alcohol. So I said, okay. And I bought it. And I had two glasses of that wine, jet lagged at 5 a.m. in Seoul, Korea, in the Western. And let me tell you something. It was as good as any other drug I've ever done. And there have been plenty. I highly recommend that wine. And I was really happy. And then I realized that wine was a story of the earth, that these were stories of the people who believed in these things, the temperature, what happened that year, and what they were able to do and plan for, and how they were able to work with science and their heart and their belief. And then from Paolo Bea to, you know, Champagne, to French Accorta, to all these different people and all these different regions, how they could tell the story. And so then I became a huge fan of the Baroness de Rothschild, as I am of Eleanor Roosevelt. And so, you know, I hold these women, Harriet Tubman, like all in the same hierarchy of badass bitches or goddesses or uh, women to be known and celebrated. And a lot of times they're overlooked. Right, Tom? Without a doubt, without a doubt. Tom, aren't you related? To a badass woman. It, yes, lots in my family, actually. But yes, there are one particular one who was American, who, who became the first female M member of parliament to take a seat in our, in our parliament in England. Back at the beginning of the 20th century, Nancy Astor, she was a Virginian and she came in and she was the only female in that place for, in, in sitting in parliament for, the, for two years. She was the only other female in those chambers during those meetings, like in Senate or something, you know. She was a teetotaler. And she was a teetotaler. She was a teetotaler. She hated alcohol because she had a bad first marriage, married to an alcoholic who wasn't very nice to her. And she was vehemently anti, and she she set up all these rules in England about like pubs closing at eleven and stuff. It's all in the last twenty years. It's all it's all changed. But for literally eighty years, pubs had to shut at eleven. They couldn't open. They could only open for three hours on a Sunday. And she brought all this legislation in to basically because of your grandmother, basically protect women from from their husbands on a Friday getting their pay packet and going and and, and spending their entire you know food allowance in the pub um, on a Friday night. She, so she'd legislate for women. So yeah, she, I mean, she was, as, as Kelly would say, she's, she, she is definitely a badass, you know, she's a, she's a, she was a strong woman and did amazing things. She hasn't been overlooked, though. She, which great, she's just had a centenary and she's been, you know, she's been celebrated for it. So, you know, which is great. There is a rather awful, rather awful Winston Churchill quote there that goes along with her, unfortunately. The two of them were having a, a rather a bit of an argument in, in Parliament. And uh, I think she, you know, Winston Churchill, she said to him, you know, Nancy Astor said to Winston Churchill, you're a disgrace. You're drunk. Yeah, you're drunk. Yeah. Right. And Tom, you yeah. can finish it. 
No, I think she she was supposed to say, yeah, well, she did say to him, you're Winston, you're drunk. And, and he said, well, you know the phrase, the expression, he turned around there and said, and you're ugly, but at least I'll be sober in the morning. But he... <laughs> I mean, but that's awful. He would know, but you know something, before she went into Parliament, they were really good friends. And as soon as she went in, he really resented it. And she once said to him, to Winston Churchill, why, why are you so unpleasant, you know? I mean, bear in mind, when she went into Parliament, they didn't put a women's loo in the place. You know, they had no lavatory there for two years after she went in. So she had to kind of plan when she went in to not go to the loo for seven hours or whatever it was. Wow. Yeah, and, and she said she said to Winston Churchill, why, why are you so unpleasant? You know, and he said, because when I see you in here, when I see you in Parliament, it's basically as if I've just got out of my bath and I'm standing in my bathroom and you've just walked in. That's disgusting. Well, you know what? He was not a nice person anyway, to be honest. I mean, by all accounts, you know, that, you know, seriously. I mean, he was never a big supporter of women at all. And the ones he did support were Nazi sympathizers, like people like Coco Chanel. Yeah, there, there was also a little bit of dark history was actually in the 30s. Again, they were in favor of appeasement and thought that actually there wouldn't be a war and everything was going to be all right. And actually you could talk to, you know, you could talk to Hitler and Ribbentrop. They, they tried to kind of suck up to and stuff, but they didn't really, you know, obviously they couldn't foresee what was going to happen, but um, they actually really believed, you know. People are mean to women in politics, that's for sure. I mean, like what, you know, I mean, nobody ever talks about what Donald Trump's wearing or things like that, you know, or Boris or people like that. They're always like, and Hillary Clinton was wearing this ugly-ass orange, you know, it's like, wow, how degrading, you know, but whatever. Don't people want to talk about something nicer? It's very hard. It's very touchy talking about the color of, of, of you know, looking orange or looking red uh, when I've got Tom Astor on at the same time. So I try to avoid the color of, of Donald Trump. I think Tom looks good. I like Tom's hair. Tom. It's real. It's real. Yeah, it's not, it's or not... is this like really your, do you get chunky lowlights or what are you doing with your hair? Sorry, I'm taking over the interview now, Tom. Let's... No, it's not dyed. I promise you, it's the right color. My face. And it's not a fake town either. It's, it's, it's all natural. I've been in the sun all day. It's very hot here. In I love this. This is meant to be a cocktails podcast, but we end up talking about beauty tips with Tom Astor once again. And the reality <laughs> is, is that he actually doesn't wash his hair. He's a filthy bugger. He doesn't <laughs> no, wash his I, hair. No, that's not true. I do. I rinse my hair three times a week in water, but I haven't put any product in my hair. There's a product with all these little microplastic particles that, you know, you're now finding in, you know, why? Why? Who taught you this level of survival? You know, is this is what is this about? Like, how did you decide? Are you worried about losing your hair? Are you worried about no. carcinogens or sulfates? Like, seriously, you want to know? Yeah. You actually want to know? I think no one's ever asked me that question, yeah. but I will give you a great answer. Yeah. The reason is because if you look at my hair right now, you imagine if I wash that right, I would look like a game show host from the late seventies. You know, uh -huh. I mean, my it really. It, it I hate goes, to say this, Tom, but you kind of do, Michael Caine. No, he doesn't. He looks good. He looks like he looks like strategically verklempt. Go ahead. He, no, he looks oh amazing. Tom, is, Tom, I walk with Tom down the streets of Manhattan, anywhere, in fact, and people literally stop us and go, oh, my God, your hair. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It's like, you, <laughs> what? But it happens every time we go out. But I digress. I mean, for God's sakes, here we are going on about your hair. The reason why I was talking about strong women is I thought you, Tom, going back to the original conversation, were related to the Rothschild, Baroness Rothschild. Isn't your mother a Rothschild? No, we've got them in the family. You know, we're all related somehow. We're all the wrong side of the family. There, there are two, there's a Mouton Rothschild, which is what Kelly's talking about, the Philippe, Baron Philippe Rothschild. I think that they're the Mouton. 
and they have the bottles with all the with the paintings every every year. Yeah. Um, and then the, and then Nicky Hilton's married to James, but they're the British Rothschilds, right? So he said so James is a relation of mine. She's a really good friend of mine, Nikki and Kathy and Rick. I just it, saw them in LA a couple of weeks ago, yeah. So James's mother is like my sort of surrogate mother. She looked up, when I was in my troubled teen years, I'd be packed off to stay with her. And she's my mother's cousin. She's a wonderful woman. And, and we, you know, and I, I basically, it was like, it was like being with your, you know, it was like being with a mother, but it wasn't your mother, so it was easier. But yeah, but that was James's mother. Well, la-di-da, my goodness. You know, I'm not married. You said we, we have Rothschilds. Everyone has a Rothschild. I don't have a Rothschild in my background. I'm lucky if I can try a Rothschild. In fact, the best Rothschild I ever tried was without you when Tom produced a gigantic Nebuchadnezzar of Lafitte um, at his wedding day, which I drank with his groomsmen, which was, I've never forgotten that moment. And, uh, you, know, you still have the wine and are you still married, Tom? I've, I've still got the bottle, but I'm not married. Well, you know, priorities, old boy. <laughs> Quite. So Kelly, I, I want to go and talk about you know the strong women thing. This is a big thing okay. with you. You're, you're all about strong women. You are a, an incredibly powerful woman yourself. You know you you take no prisoners and you fight for women's rights. But when you look at the, the sort of the world of alcohol and, and and even PR, you know I feel like women get a bad rub when it comes to alcohol specifically. I feel like a woman, a man who drinks a lot, is considered to be a lad. A man who can hold his drink and he's out there drinking, it's like cool, he's hip. He's, so, but women oftentimes, if they drink a lot, it's, they're considered to be sort of cheap or, or, or sort of like it's, it's, it's poor class or it's, it's sort of, it's bad. What is that? What, why, what's the PR spin on that? And why, what, what's that about? I think if women do anything a lot that doesn't allow them to fold clothes and be on their back at the beck and call, then it's seen as bad. You know, if women... If women drink a lot, I mean, first of all, it's really sad to see anybody, you know, who's not in control of themselves. And it's particularly dangerous for women, I think, to be wasted, you know, especially with alcohol. And it just is. And so if you are going to take alcohol, in my opinion, if you're a woman or, or anybody, right, then you need to be in a place that's safe. It's like any drug that you're going to do, whether you're going to smoke weed or take mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever the hell people are going to do to change your biochemistry. And so I think that people do not like women, first of all, who make their own choices. And secondly, if they're not, if they're out of control, then they're seen as not attractive because that's not like a good quality for a mother. Like, you know, it, just in the mating process, it's not attractive. I'm just, it's just not on a natural level. It doesn't mean that I haven't been wasted. Of course I've been wasted, but it's something that, you know, for security and stuff like that, women really need, you know, to take into consideration. Secondly, you know, any drunk person who's blackout drunk, rude, you know, whatever, you know, oh. whether it's a guy going, yo, bitch, come over here. Or, you know, a woman who's like, you know, you you know, not, nobody wants that. It's all about vibes. So if you're having a problem with vibes, I don't care. Again, this isn't even a feminist issue. Just don't fucking do it or make sure that you're with people who are going to have your back. Absolutely. Right? No, I do. Like if we were in Macau and I was fucking like when we were in Macau, we were gambling. I was gambling. I didn't realize that Chinese in Chinese gambling, strangers can bet with you. So these <laughs> Chinese people kept putting their money on my bed and I was playing pretty big hands and I was like turning around going, you know, 
like, what the fuck, man? Get your shit out. You know, and then, you know, I was with my daughter's father, who's like, you know, Italian. And, you know, he's like from Monaco. And he's like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> this is like, these people are trying to gamble with you. So it's just, I mean, no, people don't like drunk women, but people don't like drunk people. But it's not even so much just the drunk aspect. It's, I feel like there's a sort of two rules in a way. I mean, in, in, in a way, it, it just in, in life, even at parties and the sort of demure aspect of how women are supposed to, they, I mean, right. not that they're supposed to be, but that's just how society. It's that way in sex, it's that way with money, it's that way with career, it's not just alcohol. What can we do about it? What can we do about it with the, in the alcohol world? What, what do you think is the PR spin or the way we can position this? You know, is it a, a kind of a drink or is it the, the way we talk about parties? No, I think that the issue is, you know, before you can talk about God or spirituality or anything, it's like human rights. Like, do we believe that everybody is equal? Most people don't. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but most people don't. And so if you don't believe that men and women are equal, then there's nothing else to talk about. There's not a drink that's going to change it. There's not a charity event. There's nothing that's going to help it. And so what we need to understand are like roles that make sense. So like my daughter said to me the other day, you don't seem very much like a feminist when you're around, you know, this, this guy I'm dating. You don't really seem like a feminist. Like you cook all the food, you do all of this, you do all of that. And okay, I do, but I do that because I want to. So I think that there's a big misconception about what a feminist is. Like for me, it's just like, hey, I live in a world where women get less than men. They get less than men sexually. They get less food. Like if you're at a table, you know, I, I've done this with my employees. Like we've, it'll be like nine degrees in the summer in New York. Most of my staff is women. The way you're describing it makes me feel like a feminist, by the way. I think I am. I get less sex. I do all the cooking. You know, anyway, I, by the way, like I have a big place here. Like I'm all for like a dude who wants to get a gun or take out the garbage or fucking go deal with a rabid raccoon. I'm a vegetarian. I don't want to go outside and shoot a rabid raccoon. I had to call the sheriffs to do it because I live alone. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm all for dudes. Like men bring really great things to the table as do women. The question is... You just got stereotyped, Tom. Can we work in harmony together? I'm going to make a pie. I'm going to make sure that there's a fucking gate outside and you have a gun and you're going to shoot somebody. I'll make you fucking pie all night long. I have no problem with that. I am good at making pie. So I think that this concept, and again, it's when a woman doesn't do what people want them to do. They get names. Whore, hag, bitch okay like if you google power bitch like my picture comes up more than anybody witch oh i'm called a witch no i'm really not i i'm tantric i pray to goddesses like sure a witch is like no offense but like a community college degree for the metaphysics that i deal with it's like having a degree from like stanford and somebody saying well didn't you go to onondaga community college it's like yeah i did but it's like not what i am so there are just all these concepts and when the feminine is not agreed i apologize for calling you a witch earlier i meant that is the utmost of compliments by the way I'm which is a woman in total control of herself. So unless I'm drunk, which I hope to be by the end of this interview, and I'm sad I didn't make more. Please. We should have explained that. We need to make more. We're going to go out and make some more. I actually come with the bottle. I bring the bottle and mixes. Well, I'm so glad you've got. she's gone to make a drink because I need to pull down and get her to make me another one. I love this. We're having deliveries made. Oh, damn, I got to bed. Sorry. Bollocks. I just also want to do a little commercial. <laughs> oh, Kelly's Tito's. back with her Tito's, larger Tito's than me. You see, you turn one up. This is my COVID Tito's. I'd like to just do a quick um, Tito's means totally in time. Oh.
Okay. I, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm going to owe you now. Okay. No, but I think keto is great. If you don't want to spend a lot of money, because we don't really understand the whole vodka world, you know, but if you don't want to spend a ton of money and you want something that has like good organic, cool principles, something that's like small batch, even though it's not, but you want to pretend Tito's. I love it. It's cooler than Grey Goose. It's less bougie than Belvedere and all that other shit. Just get down to it. I love it. And We're getting a commercial right now from Kelly Catrone for Tito's. Um, we know our fact about vodka that, that there was not a cocktail that was made with vodka before 1945, right? Vodka only came onto the scene after the Second World War, probably I would imagine the Russians and Poles introduced it. But, well, I think um, no one had any money and they had to make alcohol from potatoes. No, but it was gin. Gin was the base, base um, spirit for all the cocktails in the 30s. It was, it's basically, in many ways, it is a vodka, but it's an unrefined vodka that they would spike with botanicals in order to give it flavour. So every place had its own one, right? its own type of gin. And it was only till after the first, Second World War, 1945, that they managed to refine it to a way that you could drink that moonshine, if you like, and call it vodka, and it'd oh. be good. Well, gin yeah. is a very witchy drink. I don't know if you know that there are, it's like Amara. Like, I'm surprised. Can we talk about Amara? Because I actually think that Amaras are going to be the hot new thing. And I'm surprised they haven't broken yet. Like Chinar and, you know, the Chianti. I have a lot of Amaras here in my bar. Oh, my Japanese client sent this from Tokyo, Tommy. Very nice. Arigato is what I said. Is that sake? Yeah, it's good sake, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, That's so good. But I want a glass. Like, yeah, man. Like Amaro. I think Amaro, you know, 63 herbs. These Amaros are just a maze. Where are the herbs come from? Amaros come from, uh, they're like a very witchy strega drink from Italy. So they're, they're like an herbal reduction. And depending on like, if you like Chinar, it's an asparagus base. So it's a, it's a vegetable and fruit, you know, grape skins. It, it's really beautiful. It's a, it's a great digestive for after dinner especially what do you like, drink it with well i like to drink it straight or what, on the rocks? rocks yeah yeah straight like so a lot of times like at my house like maybe you'll do a flight program like you know i i love to make ice cream so sometimes three different ice creams with different amaros and how fancy maybe thinking, you do a flight series at home different yeah. ice creams well the whole thing like i was talking about earlier like I like to throw down, but in New York, like it's not really, if I go out, people either want to meet me or they owe me money or like, it's never like, I like to be able to relax socially. I don't want to be out and have somebody come to the table and be like, Oh, hi, I really want to work in fashion or blah, 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 blah. Like I like to be able to, if I'm going to really do an evening and make people, I love to cook and all of that. So basically you're making alcoholic ice cream. Well, you can make alcoholic ice cream, but I make a really amazing Cabernet Granita, Tom, if you ever come to my little farm. I'd love to. I, I don't know where you are. Are you near Nigel? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm actually before Nigel, so I'm like 50 miles outside of Manhattan. It's my weekend. Right. I'm here most of the time these days. So. And it's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, you've been very here. Very chill, very relaxed farm. It's gorgeous. Mm. Very you. I'll never forget the time we had there. The cooking you did as well was amazing. You are an amazing Enough, person. Nigel. You're... Christ's sake, Chris is like, you know, come on, you've got to stop this. <laughs> so let's talk about for a second. Let's talk about fashion and booze because there's so much booze at fashion shows. Everyone who works in fashion is drunk. That's what you need to know. Or on, uh, why? What is that? How does that happen? Why, why is it that it's, it's such a boozy business? I mean, obviously, I, I grew up in it too. And I remember from the earliest photo shoots, you'd go and there would be champagne being served at breakfast. Uh -huh. Is that still the case? And why was that such a big deal? 
I think that when you ask people to do superhuman things, they seek superhuman means. And usually they seek it from easiest superhuman means. So like alcohol gives you something. It does. It's a good drug. Like you pay X amount of dollars and it gives you this thing. You know, the question is, is like, how do you do it? So I think that in fashion, people, they don't like to eat a lot, you know? So, uh, you know, alcohol kind of numbs you out and it kind of gives you the stamina to kind of go and do what you need. But of course, I don't know, fashion, we like alcohol in fashion, you know? But, but and you can't, still can't handle your drink much. Well, I, I, you know, I remember there was a time when I, I clearly had drunk way too much as a young model. Um, and I had gone to a fashion show in Italy and I, I basically passed out on the runway. Oh, you did? And, and yeah, I basically had alcohol poisoning because it was, we drank all night. Wait, did and you then we, fall? I fell. Oh my God, that's horrible. No, I know. Terrible. Do we have a picture Terrible. of it? Because this could I'm be, sure. we can help. Sure we, this would be great for the, this would be great for your podcast. This would be great for it right now. If we can find a picture of this Daily Mail, you come. I hate to sound like a publicist, but you know, they'll start it up. TMZ, I'll be your witness. Come on. Are people not drinking in the same way backstage anymore, are they, Kelly? I think that there is an alarming rate of people who are biochemically altered globally. What, well, so right now, the COVID scenario. <laughs> is that what you're blaming it on, Tom? Tom, you, <laughs> this is such a British answer. And what was it? What was it? In December, Christmas. What was it in November? But <laughs> what was it in October? All Souls Day. Then what happened? Hey, hey. September's back well, to work. August, the end of the summer. Bye-bye, Ibiza. <laughs> There's always a reason. My brother-in-law, who, who works at a wine merchant here, quite a good wine merchant, I ordered some rosé. He's got hot here in England recently, so I ordered up some rosé, and I rang him today, and I was a bit disappointed it hadn't arrived. And he said, we've got, we sold, he's a, it's a basic shop, like any old alcohol shop you'd find in Woodstock or whatever one of these towns. And he said last week he had sold 200 cases of rosé wow. and all new, all new customers. And because, because there's self-isolation going on and everyone's sitting at home and the weather's changed and for some reason there's a state rosé, which is neither kind of one thing nor the other, really, is it? But, you know. Well, it's like, it's like La Croix for alcoholics. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but I have, I have a quote about that. What about the Angelina Lee? Whispering Angels. No, no, that's not her line. I thought that was her uh, rosé. Is it not Whispering Angels? I didn't think so. I thought it was like the Chateau Margaville or something. Tom, come in with your uh, French Chateau. I thought it was Whispering Angels, or you could otherwise call it Screaming Bitch, which is basically what happens to you after you have a case of Screaming Angels. I don't know. That was the story of the guy who, the guy who, who rang up, the, the, the owner of the vineyard, who was a friend of his, and, and ordered 30 cases of, he said, I want 30 cases of your wine. Um, I mean, you call it whispering angel, but I call it screaming bitch. You know, I want 30 cases of that screaming bitch wine you've got. And he said, when the owner of the vineyard said, why, why are you saying screaming bitch? He said, because you call it whispering angel, but I call it screaming bitch because that is what my wife turns into when she drinks it. Oh my God, really? That's sad. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, but you can put you know what? twisted off rose. How fucking angry you really must be. Do you know something? Do you know something? The amount of people I know, it's like in this country, we've got a beer called Stellaratoire, which is literally, unfortunately, has had a nickname of, of like a wife beater because it was associated with drinking it and getting violent, right? 
and it was a very male beer, and that when you drink, it's very, very strong. And obviously, the chem- I don't know what the chemical compound is in it, but it, it actually changed, you know, I mean, now we know alcohol changes your mood, but it's the same with rosé. You can become very, I know people who become extremely argumentative. This is the name of the rosé that Angelina Jolie owns. rosé. I would feel bad for myself if I got like wasted in fighting on rosé. Tom is just saying that because basically he looks like a glass of rosé. It's just sad. It's just a sad moment. Well, Tom and I at the beginning were comparing ourselves to alcoholic drinks, and we, he basically said that I looked like an upside-down espresso martini, whilst he looked like an Aperol spritz. So okay. uh, I guess we, we, we could all look like something, right? Aperol is a nice drink, though. I mean, it's a bullshit drink. I like to drink something that's going to pack a punch. I don't, I don't love... I don't like maintenance drinking. It scares me. It's really exhausting. It always involves a nap. What, what about then these spiked sodas that are so popular? You know, you've got a young daughter, Ava. You know, she, she's, she, a lot of the kids, I often think, you know, these spiked sodas, they can potentially lead kids into alcohol and to drink. And, and you know, in America, you've got this very young That's drink. That's the point of them. That's the point of them. It's for people who are doing things that want to hide what they're doing. So driving a vehicle, driving a boat, just uh, limited in their ability to make something on their own. Let's just put it that way. It's already done for you. People who can't mix a cocktail. that serves macaroni and cheese from Stouffer's, I guess. I mean. But they can be very good. If you're on a hike or you're in Nantucket and you don't have a chef or like you can't bring your, I don't want to sound, I'm just saying like, I don't care. You can have no money. It's not an issue of wealth. I'm just saying like, it's for non-creative people. I'm just saying it's not for me. I think it's a great product if people want to drink it. I mean, I think the challenge for the alcohol industry is to make young kids, is to not make young kids. They want to speak to people over 25 from a PR standpoint. They don't want to talk to people that are 18. It's against the law in the United States. So that's interesting. So from an advertising perspective. I've worked with like Absolute. I did the Stella McCartney campaign for Absolute with David Remfrey, the great British artist. And Diageo and I did list three Napoleon, you know, Napoleon's brandy that they still have. I did that with Ajahn Provocateur, who I represented for 15 years. And we did a whole, like, what would Josephine say about this moment? For the most part in the United States, you are relegated to speak to people over 25. Right. And what, what, what happens, you know, as far as a PR ca- campaign for, you know, a brand like that, you specific is it very different for when you're trying to market or do PR to uh, with a brand that's going to millennials versus say Gen X? I mean, or do you, is it all just one? I mean, how do you differentiate, or is it very specific? I mean, I think it's always about the story and the energy, right? Like you see people like us who are talking about certain things, and people go, "Oh, what are they into?" Like today, we were all into vodka, so. If somebody was tuning in to watch this, they would think that vodka is the thing that people are drinking right now, right? I guess so. Amaro. So then they would go and they would look up Amaro. So there's a lot of different ways to get to the shipping point. But, you know, each country and then each state has different, you know, regulations as to how you can speak from a PR standpoint about liquor. And 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 everybody judges it and kind of like pushes it a little. But you, they are legally responsible from a government enforcement aspect of same with cigarettes. Right. No, for sure. I mean, I, I find it interesting. I just find it because obviously alcohol advertising in general and PR is one of the sort of more celebrated in a way types of advertising. They've got often have big budgets. You see them at the Super Bowl. Not so much advertising on television as you can't anymore in the same way. But growing up, 
And historically, there were and there have been great ads and commercials around alcohol, and 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 they can be incredibly successful. You know, and it's it's always sort of struck me as a very interesting world to get into because you're creating a sort of a, a fantasy around a drug, so to speak. I don't think it's a fantasy. I think I, I've made a lot of great moves personally and professionally on alcohol. I also think it's really interesting that people don't really realize, and I've made a lot of bad moves personally and professionally on alcohol, but I don't think people realize what goes into making an alcohol ad. Like, do you know that sometimes they put like vaginas and penises in the ice cubes? Like, there's a lot of manipulation. Yes. Whoa. Okay. You ever yeah, see an amaretto campaign? Who's news right there? Mad men. No, seriously, you guys, you have to really think about this. I mean, have you ever seen an alcohol campaign that is not selling power or sex ever? Have you how ever seen a How do you put a, a vagina into an ice cube? Sorry. No, Tom wants to know how you get a vagina into an ice cube. Or a penis. Oh, that's probably more straightforward. It's not but... a real vagina, Tom. <laughs> Oh, I was trying to work out what was. The visuals, you, you subliminally see it. Oh, subliminal. You, am, I wrong, am I not wrong, Kelly? It's a All subliminal right. message of a penis. Sorry, and a I was taking life. a limb. I had very strange images in my head just then. Right, not right, good. Move. frozen pubic hair, Tom, in your cube. <laughs> that would be disgusting. <laughs> Thanks. That would just be a sloppy Josephina. So tell us what else, Kelly, what else? What else are we doing here? We're, we're, we, we, you're, what other tips, what other things are they doing? What were you doing, by the way? What was happening in this Napoleon ad, other than the vagina and the penis and the ice cream? No, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. We were asked to promote this brandy called, I think it was called L'Esprit, that Napoleon had. So they found all these barrels of this brandy, and I don't know, they were selling it for like a shit ton of money. And they wanted, you know, iconic tipping point people to engage in the brand. So they came to us and they said, you know, how could we work together? And I said, well, I represent Agent Provocateur. We could create some French kind of Napoleon Josephine-esque looks like corsetry, side tie ribbon panties, uh, some of the great kind of hats and tie that into the runway. And then we could serve it in the front row before the show. And then we could also bring in a few girls to sit in the front row wearing the corsetry and blazers and some thigh-high boots and, and, and just make everybody love that era. And then when you think of that era and you think of like, oh, it's a $300 bra or knickers or whatever, you're going to associate this cross-section. And we did it. And voila. C'est un grand fait. It was very, very good. Everybody. I still remember that. Oh, yeah. thanks, Tom. Thanks. Uh-huh. It was a big success. It was almost as good as the only Bush I trust is my own campaign when George Bush ran. That was another one we were very proud of. Ed. Okay, well, I thought you were back to vaginas and bullies in ice cubes there for a moment. I'm not going to be in ice cubes. I mean, be wary. There's a lot of tricks that go into making you want things. And, and there you have it. And I just thought the taste would be enough. My goodness me. Nudge. You lost words. Lost for words. Doesn't happen very often. Words on that one. I'm, you know, I'm just sort of soaking it all in. I'm taking it all. In. I'm like, I'm no, thinking to myself. This, is, like, this, is, I'm, this isn't breaking news. People know about this stuff. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not breaking. I just didn't. I'm not. I was unaware. I guess out there, people know about these things when it comes. To, that's why I have you on, though, Kelly, because I want you to tell me, you know, the, 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 the <laughs> tricks of the, of the PR world and how you are selling oh, me. Yeah. How to get your penis in ice cube, Nigel? I mean, that's what you know. That's that's the pinnacle. 
That's going to be the pinnacle of your career. <laughs> the subliminal Nigel penis and ice cube. There we go. But you know what do you mean? People who are really wealthy. They never worked in the fashion business. You're like, how did they make their money? And you're like, they invented penis ice cubes. And you say, really? You're fantastic. That's the buzzword <laughs> I needed. And we're going to for your word. daughter's wedding. I was thinking that it needed to be handcrafted or... It just needs to be very small to fit in an ice cube, that's all. That's what it is. You know, if it gets, it's, it's the ultimate small batch. Tommy, I'm telling you, it's a prototype. Well, look, talking about these buzzwords, I mean, you know, they, whatever. The buzzwords of penis, ice cubes, and alcohol? Yeah. Using buzzwords for, for selling alcohol, like, you know, small batch, artisanal, handcrafted. I mean, if you look at the results, it seems like people really react to those sorts of things in a, from a PR standpoint. But it is just kind of, a lot of it's just spin. I mean, you know, the fact that you're only making a small amount of it, why should that make it better? But for some reason, that does make a big difference to people. Where did Tom just go? Tom, Tom you like to go under the table every once in a while. Ignore him. I was charging something was getting around my feet. It's not a dog and it's not a child. It's a cable. Sorry, ignore me. I wasn't having a sneaky look in, down my shorts to, to, uh, with the sort of the ice cube thing in mind. I don't know. I think I'm going to be drunk at dinner at my house now. How much longer is this going on? I have to. I love the fact, by the way, you've got a daughter called Ava. Brilliant name. Or Ava. I've got one. In, in London, you would call her Ava. I've got one called Ava, spelled with E V A, and I call her Ava. That's written. That's right. I have one with an A, and I call her Ava. But. Her dad is Italian, and so he calls her Ava. Great name, either way. Yes. Yes. Well done, Ava. It's great. Look, I feel at this point, then, let's go straight to... I, I like to do a little last orders. It's a little rapid-fire question moment, Kelly. Okay, great. I'm ready. Here we go. Call it last orders. Is it bad that I'm, like, finger-eating my coconut? You may <laughs> finger-eat whatever you like. <laughs> I'm really... I mean, for God's sake... We've had ice cube penises. We've had fingering coconuts. Thank God. I mean, Somebody's getting your ratings up, Tommy. It's, it's too good. It's too good. I have a I question we before we do have... rapid fire. I have a question for you. Please. So I spoke at the... Um, I was really great friends with Vidal Sassoon. And Vidal and I went to Oxford and we spoke at a TEDx thing, which I don't like because it's not real TED. It's like nobody cares about you so you can come to TEDx. So... That's what Vidal and I did. It was one of the last time I was with him when he was alive. And we went to Oxford to speak at Oxford University. And we stayed in a prison. Do you know this hotel? I do. It, uh, oh, my God. Yeah. It was the scariest. And Nigel took Malmaison. It's called the Malmaison. Yeah, bad house. Yeah, it's, Mal it's, it's Oxford prison. It's the old Oxford prison. Absolutely. I slept there for two nights. I'm going to tell you something. Have you, do you heard a ghost? Did I hear a ghost? Yeah, it's terribly, terribly haunted. I, I mean, they so used to haunted. I'm so psychic. You have no idea. Like, uh, super psychic. Nigel will tell you. Like, I literally yeah. called him yesterday and he was like writing my name. It was so upsetting. And there's really no word. I didn't know Oxford. I, I, I tried to um, write a Hobbit haiku, like, bibbidi boppity boo. I have no love for you. Like, I was just trying to do Hobbit haiku because I thought that would be a fun thing to do in Oxford, but um, that place was really scary. They have a, a bar yeah. and a restaurant downstairs. It's, it's not a nice place. Is it? Okay, but do people still stay there? 
Yeah, it's still a hotel. It still goes. It still runs. It's right near the middle of town. And it is the old Oxford prison. And you've got the cells. The rooms, some of the cells have turned into rooms. Then no, you've got no, the no, no, no. You stay in a cell, Nigel. So there's oh. a little window like this big with bars. Oh, it's really scary. I mean, I guess if you're a ghost hunter, it's great, Tom. But I was really upset. For- I've been in there and I've definitely, definitely hurt, feel, felt, felt the, the ghost. That's why I said to you, did you feel, did you realize sure. it was haunted? I, we heard these horrible sounds. What sign are you? Are you a Leo or what sign are you? Yeah, Leo. Yay, Kelly Catron coming in. I <laughs> Bright red with a huge mane. Of course he's a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> Dead giveaway. <laughs> Dead giveaway. Can we get on with the rapid fire? Let's do it. Here we go. How many cocktails can you safely drink before becoming drunk? Well, we know the answer to that. One, she, like, we just witnessed her drink one, but it was it counts as about five cocktails in my book. Sorry. I won't interrupt again, Kelly. Next question. <laughs> Next question. Salt or, no, salt or no salt? One or ten, depending on who's making them. Go ahead. Salt or no salt? It depends on the drink. Thank you for, for clarifying. Um, Favourite bar snack? Popcorn or cashews. Worst pickup line? Baby, you make me hotter than a Georgia asphalt. <laughs> that is a bad one. And are you shaken or stirred? Always both. There you have it, people. Serve straight up, Kelly Catrone right. on Shake. Uh, I just want to tell you guys that I'm here for you. I'm going to try to make some new recipes for you. Send them down. It was really a pleasure to be on your show. Like it made my day. I had something to look forward to. And Nigel, will you promise to? Uh, you got to introduce me, Kelly, when when I'm when I'm next back. When we're out, allowed out of this quarantine business. Tom, let's get a canoe. Listen, I got the braids. We're ready. Nigel, let's go. I have a rowboat, a canoe. You guys come down here. I have this beautiful house. You really should come. And oh my God, can I just ask a question? Because I think this is good TV. I just have to tell you. I have two ducks. Have you ever seen two ducks fuck? Have you guys? Yeah, rough. Really rough. (laughs) You have them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Me too. They're right here. They're right right here right now. These They're not, not a good advert for like the male-female thing. It ruins no, the way it's of my life. Great. It's actually great. I'll tell you why it's great, okay? And I hope that you use this, <laughs> Nigel, because people don't really talk about how... And this, this goes back to feminism, okay? I, I, I really, it. I wanted to spell... No, I really wanted to dispel this thing about feminism. So this is what I would like to dispel about feminism. I can only speak for myself because... <laughs> It's a very fractured group. I mean, we have Alyssa Milano who stole the Me Too movement from a black woman. Okay, it's crazy, all right? So let's just be very focused. Two ducks, okay? You have a male duck and a female duck, all right? Tommy, they're right outside. You wanna see them? But you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to describe it to us so we can all our, our listeners can understand what's happening. Okay, so- There's not a lot going on here. And out here, you see them. I don't know if you can see them. Are they still at it? Well, that's already good. <laughs> well, they're like, this is my house. <laughs> it's longer than most men. Nigel, don't. Well, I'm going to say you sounded a bit surprised there, Nigel. I'm always talking about penises. I'm not, I'm talking about two ducks yeah. fucking. One of them needs a penis for that. Duck's penis. <laughs> Have you ever seen a duck's penis? No, I knew you were going to ask you me that. I haven't. in an ice cube, Tommy? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so what I want to know. No, I'm going to tell you, I woke up the other day and um, there was, a, a, my house is surrounded by water, as you know, Nigel, 
And I have like 10 acres. I have chickens and horses and fucking goats. Anyway, all of a sudden I hear this in the water. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And I realize this male duck comes up behind the female duck and he just bangs the female duck. And I'm like, what? And then I'm thinking, I need to intervene on her behalf. And then this like psychic voice says, this is natural. And then they have sex, okay? And then she, you know, kind of pushes on. She's like, whatever. And five minutes later, they're swimming together. So I call my attorney, who represents Prince Edward and a few other people. And I say to my attorney, have you ever seen two dogs fuck? And he goes, no, I have not. And I said, well, this is what happens. And he said, in my next lifetime, I'm coming back as a duck. (laughs) Drake or a mallard, though, is the question. um, Well, the mallard is the male, right? If he represents, if he's currently representing the British royal family, there's a serious chance that he might be coming across weirder stories than two ducks fucking. You know, chuck a human in there. And I mean, God knows what's going to suck. The only person, Tom... I've asked this question to several people. Not only did they fuck in the morning, they fucked at night too. And then I realized I was running a porn ring for ducks. Do you know something? It's not porn. Do you know why? Because ducks mate for life. They do? Yeah. They have there was one another partner. female around, and then she ran the other one out, which is another thing that I love about feminism. Because it's like... It's- I, I think, you know, I don't know how much more duck fucking we can talk about. It's not quite frankly. <laughs> Well, this is great for our Easter, our post-Easter COVID special. I think it should be called, Have You Ever Seen Two Ducks Fuck? <laughs> Penises and Vaginas and Alcohol Advertising Ice Cubes, Stories from the Front Lines of COVID with Tom, Kelly, and Nigel. There we go. We clearly need another cocktail. Cheers to that, Kelly. I love you. Lots of love. Bye, Tommy. Bye, Kelly. Lots of love. Well, brilliant. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.